first of all, welcome Lisa to Ladies Who Mumble. We're so thrilled to have you here uh, at our Mumble Forum podcast and video series. Um, Aretha, would you like to introduce Lisa and to our audience? So I'm so excited to have Lisa here with us today. She is a longtime friend of mine. Ten years ago, she packed up her family and moved abroad. And for 10 years, they spent um, their lives raising their girls on four different continents. Lisa is a author, a public speaker, a teacher, a mother, and an entrepreneur. And we are so excited to have her with us today. Thank you so much, Aretta. I'm very excited to be here. (laughs) So Lisa, can you give us a bit of a backstory Who are you, where do you come from, and how did you find yourself living abroad for all those years? Okay, so I'm actually from a small town in Northern Ontario, Canada, and I grew up there, I went to university there, and then I just, I had this itch to travel. And I thought, okay, I'm, I'm gonna do it, I'm gonna try. So I went um, abroad for a summer and I taught English. And I loved it. And I came back and I thought, this is going to be something I always want in my life. But I knew I didn't want to go back to that small town that I grew up. So I moved to Calgary, Alberta, which in my mind then was a big city. That was like as big as it was going to get for me. Hmm. Uh, And that was a big adventure in itself. So I moved to Calgary and that's where I met Aretta. And I spent eight years teaching there. I became an assistant principal and I met my husband. And very, very shortly after we were married, my husband works for a French oil and gas company and he had the opportunity to move abroad. And I thought, okay, during those eight years, I should actually backtrack and say during those eight years, every summer that I was teaching, I spent overseas. So I spent one summer in Peru, I spent a summer in India, I spent a summer uh, traveling all over Asia. And that for me was enough to scratch that travel itch and then still have my life in Canada. But so this piece going abroad permanently was a very different idea. And I didn't really know how I thought about it at the time, actually, but I knew that it was a good opportunity. So I thought, okay, I'll do it. I'll go. I mean, you're married. That's what you do, right? When you get married, you make compromises. So I went with him and we moved to France, which was really great for him because he is Francophone. He grew up in the French part of Canada and I was most definitely not Francophone and I didn't speak any French at all. So I went from having a very successful career. Uh, I think you guys would call that a head teacher. Was that what you Yeah, Deputy head. Yes. Deputy head Um, to being unemployed, having no friends, no family and being illiterate because I couldn't read, I couldn't write. And I found myself going from like having this wonderful life and everyone saying, oh my goodness, you're moving to Paris. That's so romantic. That's so nice. And then I got there and we did the touristy thing for a couple of weeks and it was really romantic and really nice. And then my husband went off to work and I was just alone and by myself. And that is like the part that they don't show in the movies. (laughs) It was just kind of less glamorous at that point. And I felt really alone and um, it was a challenge. And I thought, okay, well, I'm 30 years old. I've quit my job. I have nothing to do with my time. We've been married. In hindsight, it wasn't that long, but it felt long. Um, I'm like, okay, we're married. This is going to be the person that I have my kids with. Now seems like a good time. 
And so we always knew we wanted to have kids, but we didn't really have that conversation until I got there and I was like, I need something to do besides take French lessons because I actually wasn't enjoying those very much. So I had my first, I got pregnant with our first daughter when we lived in Paris and I spent my entire pregnancy pregnant in Paris, which was lovely, except for the fact that I couldn't drink any of the wonderful French wine. (laughs) And then when I was eight months pregnant, we had the opportunity to move to the South of France. So I thought I've done the hard part. The hard part was leaving home. It's just a different place in France. I just will have no friends again and that's okay. I'm used to that now. And it was just like a new challenge. So I moved to the South of France at eight months pregnant and we arrived there. So I was ready to burst and we had no house and we had, I still really like, I thought, in Paris, my French was okay because they were used to tourists around all the time. And then we went to this little town and no one spoke English at all. And there really wasn't any tourists. So that was a whole, it was a very different kind of expat experience, I guess you would say, because now I was really, really into like small town French living. And my daughter was born like weeks after we arrived. So you don't have, I didn't have that support. So there was a lot of challenges there and we ended up spending, I should know this off the top of my head, five or six years in France before we moved on to our next adventure. So you say that there's not a lot of expats living there and that it was a very different experience, but I do remember that maybe the mayor came and knocked on your door when your baby was born (laughs) to welcome the new citizen. That that is a real thing. The mayor came over uh, because he lived on our street. When I say it was like a big, long street, but so the hub of our town, it was about um, I would say an hour and a bit from Biarritz, like on the coast, uh, on, so I'm on the south side of France. And cheers. <laughs> I love it. So and basically, very close to Bordeaux, so this is fitting. I know. Well, it's it's ladies who mumble and drink very good. Um, so basically, I'm really interested because you know, for somebody who is not just moved abroad, but actually having a child abroad, like that alone, it's very scary having a child. But to think having it abroad and you just move. Um, that must have been quite a challenging experience. I'm so impressed. 100%. And I remember when I talked to people in Calgary, they say, well, your French must have been good by then. And there's a very different kind of French because I spent all of my time in Paris. Like, how do I, what's the best wine to order? How do I order off the menu? We didn't have kids. We were newlyweds. And so my French consisted of tourist French. And how do I find this? Where is that? Um, what are all the items on the menu? Cause we just were so excited to just go out to all these French restaurants. And then I went to the South of France and I had a baby and I put like 100% blind trust into the French medical system because I didn't know what anyone was saying to me. And I just would shake my head. I, I didn't have any medical jargon in French. And I remember not a word of a lie. I remember asking my husband how to say push in French I was going into labor and I didn't know anything that was going to happen. And I've said like, what if he leaves the room? What if something happens and he's not there? I have to go like by myself for a minute. I won't know what anyone is saying. Like 
how do you say is it like I need to know that word and then it just all went out the window well how and, about how do you say epidural like that would be the first thing I want to learn that, oh, yeah. <laughs> because in in Paris I did my yoga teacher training um, and while pregnant and I had this like wonderful vision of I'm gonna have this like very like serene birth I'm gonna breathe through everything and that, that was a really cute idea really cute um did not happen <laughs> by the second time I was like onto the program as soon as I walked in I'm like give me all the drugs <laughs> but I remember not remembering at the time both times actually in hindsight because I think you just when you're having a baby as we're all moms as you know you're you go into another space and I remember looking at my husband like is it a boy or a girl like I don't remember what language they said it in I don't remember <laughs> them announcing it especially for the first for the second I think they said it in French and then for my benefit in like very broken English but like what a weird thing because we didn't find out first we wanted it to be a surprise but then it was like an extra surprise for me because I'm like, what are they saying? Did they tell us yet? Like, what do we have? What's going on? Yeah. <laughs> so it's like becoming a mom is a really like weird and intense experience. Like I, I don't even know the right word for that really. Um, it's all of, all of the emotions you can think of and handle at the same time. And just doing that in a foreign country, in a foreign language without your family and friends adds an entirely different lens on the experience that's so amazing. it was a lot <laughs> so Monique and I are both expats Monique's from Panama and as you know I'm from Canada and we had our children abroad but we had them in the language we spoke in so it was a very different experience but we ourselves found that experience really hard so we can only imagine what you went through because uh, you know the family factor as well you know being away from family so you think always whatever happens you know it's very with, scary. So I take my hat off. Well done, you. Thank you. With my <laughs> um, second daughter, I remember the nurse was trying to be very kind. And she said, oh, where are you from? And I said, Canada. And at this time, I was speaking in French a little bit. And she was saying, oh, and I had all the drugs. But she said, oh, it must be so difficult to be away from your family. Oh, you're so brave for doing this. And all the hormones are going. Isn't that and like I just the most, like, falling. And yeah. my husband was giving her the eyes, like, okay. Like, she was trying to be nice and being very empathetic, but she was reminding me about how far my mom was and how, like, I didn't have any family there. And like, you're saying all the wrong things. I know you're trying to be kind, but, but yeah, it's, it's a challenge. It's interesting because um, I feel, especially in an experience like that, being away from family, it, it is still reassuring, though, to see that in the health sector there are people that, you know, truly care. And I, and I know this is obviously said a lot, but it does make a massive difference to the mental health of a patient, you know, well, a mom to be just, you know, you feel so people can be cold when they're trying to get their job done. So I really appreciate each nurse is doing that. So, wow, that's yes. amazing. Um, so you had, you had your first daughter and then not too long after you had your second daughter and then you started sharing your experiences of what it was like being a mom in France and that really took off. So could you tell us a little bit about that? Are you, are you referring to any particular story perhaps? Um, well, I'm, I'm, I'm referring to a series of stories that maybe you wrote about. <laughs> so I found out in France that things worked a little bit differently 
and I'm going to overshare. I'm just going to put that out there right now that this is probably going to be a lot for some people. Um, so you go to your six week postpartum checkup and this is before I had my blog, but this is the story that led to me having my blog because I had this experience, which I'm going to share with you in a second. But after I had it all, any new expat in town, because a lot of them came with their kids, but my kids were actually born in France and all the expat would say, you need Lisa to tell you the story, but what happens when you have a baby in France? And that was kind of the spark. And so what happens is that when I went to my first six week postpartum checkout, they gave me this prescription and they're like, oh, you need to go for this re-education perineal. And I was like, the what? I'm, I'm doing what? And I just took the, they said this like really fast French word and I had no idea what it meant. And I took the prescription and I went to the place where it was, not knowing where I was going. In hindsight, it was a midwife, but I didn't know that at the time. And I just walked in there and she started asking me like all these crazy questions. And she was asking me like how often I had sex with my husband and if I could feel him inside of me. And I was like, who is this woman and why does she need to know all these things? Um, and so then she gave me this wand and she asked me to put it inside of myself and she plugged me into a computer. And like, I know now that this exists in Canada, but again, this is all like in another language and I didn't know anything that was going on or who she was. And she told me that I had to like contract and release my pelvic floor. And my job was to like take this little dot that I was represented by this blue dot and I had to like squeeze to keep it in between the lines. And I was like, playing video games with my vagina, basically. And um, that story was the story that sparked, I'm sure that I could like, I'm sure I could tell it much better if I wasn't being like recorded right now. <laughs> and, and I was done my glass of wine. But anyways, that story became like urban legend around the expat community in this little town. And then as girls started having babies, they were like, oh, that's like an actual thing you got. And then we'd say like, Oh, I'm going for my vagina video games now. And so I, I started collecting all of these like funny stories about being a mom as a foreigner. And then I started my blog and some of these stories like that one went viral and just kind of carried on. And then my girlfriends who are American living in Paris were getting their friends in the States sending them these stories like, Oh my God, does this really happen? And they were like, yeah, that's my friend Lisa who actually wrote that. That's a real thing. And we, we've all done that, but no one really put it on the internet until she did. So, so. Monique, to put this into perspective, how viral these stories went, like Lisa's blog was then published on lots of really famous like mother sites, um, like scary mommy. She was writing for Huffington post she was once in an airport where a woman approached her and she's like, are you Canadian expat mom? And Lisa's like, yeah, I am. Like, it, it's, it's just surreal how, you know, she was in a different part of the world and a random person came up to her and asked her this and was, you know, obviously that story, whichever story she was talking about had connected with her and it just shows the community that can be built and unified through moms. So I think I mean, the really other quite... thing that shows is that the strong need of, of information out there, because it doesn't matter how much information is out there, there is still another mom who might have a new experience and just wants to hear more. So it's very interesting that you, you know, reassuring when people are vulnerable 
And I think that's something that, that definitely Lisa did very well. And I'm sure with some humor, it's just such a hit. But being, being vulnerable is the thing that I think moms hide sometimes. We like to pretend everything is fine. And actually, we, we like to encourage and to sort of bring to the spotlight that it's okay not to be fine. And it's okay to find things weird. And um, so thank you for that, Lisa. That is, that is a very, you know, quite an outstanding thing to do. Not just for yourself, but like you're actually helping people. So <laughs> I love it. Um, so after France, you, where did you guys move to? So we moved to Indonesia and we thought, okay, we can handle Indonesia. We went to Indonesia on our honeymoon. We spent a month there. It was wonderful. And I'm like envisioning Bali and Lombok in my mind um, and the, the, the Gili Islands. We ended up living um, on the island of Borneo where the orangutans live. Um, and it was like a very, it's the, one of the largest islands, but we lived in a tiny Muslim community where there was nine mosques that surrounded our house. And I have this video of my daughter who's like singing call to prayer as she's eating dinner at night. And I had to learn to like cover everything up. And I mean, it was very nice. Like people were actually like very, they always wanted to kiss the kids because I had two little blonde haired girls in rural Indonesia. And it wasn't Bali. Like there was no tourists that went there. We were a flight away on a different island. Um, so we were there for a year. And then after that, we ended up going to the Congo for two years. That was a whole different kettle of fish too, wasn't it? <laughs> that was a whole different situation. And again, none of these countries spoke English. Um, aside from France, well actually, so in all of them, the second language was a situation. Um, in Indonesia and in Africa, we were visible minorities, but I came to learn after that also in France I was because I just, I don't look like a French woman and I just thought, well, sure I do. We can all fit in. But they're like, no, your hair, what you do with your hair, the way you dress, your makeup, like you're clearly not from here. So I stood out more than I thought I did in France, but then I really stood out in Indonesia and I really stood out in Congo. <laughs> <laughs> um, so... When you were still, um, when you were in Indonesia, that's when you started writing your books, wasn't it? Yeah, I actually started the moment that we needed to pack our things in France to leave, to go to <laughs> Indonesia. So while I should have been packing, I had this wave of, we're leaving, and that had become our kids' home. They didn't know any different. We were settled in there now. And the country that I actually hated living in for a little while came to feel like home. And I, and I was like, I was crying when I arrived and I was crying when I left for different reasons because I had just gotten so settled in there and it just had become so natural that I thought, okay, I need, I, I need like writing therapy. I need to write my way through this move because I had started blogging and that was like now my outlet of choice. I didn't have like my family there to chat with all the time. And I, chat like it was talk. I love yeah. it. I couldn't go to therapy cause I was in a different language. So I was like, I would just like write out all my feelings and my husband would come home and he'd be like, okay, so how's the packing doing? Because we need one, like we need one pile of things that's going to Indonesia. We need one pile of things that are going back to Canada. We need a pile of things that we're going to sell here in France. And each day he'd come home and I was like, well, I actually started writing this book. I was like, what? 
what do you mean? Like we were in the middle of an international move with two children and you, this is the time you're going to start writing a book. And I was like, well, I just can't help myself. It's just like spewing out of me, like in a, like the, the passion slash OCD. I don't know what it was, but I just couldn't help myself. And I would just spend my days writing. The girls would go for a nap and I'd be writing and people would come in our house. And I remember it being the week before we moved. And my girlfriend saying like, you would never know that you're moving, like moving houses, moving countries, like, like your house looks exactly the same. So it was a little bit of chaos at the end, but that was my way to work through. And then it kind of like, I really spent a lot of time writing when we were in Indonesia and carried you're on from speaking there. Speaking about the book, uh, the children, uh, well, the kids who travel the world, is that the book that you started writing yet? Just yes. So, everyone doesn't know. <laughs> I started writing, well, started writing two books, actually. I started writing um, a children's book series that I didn't know was going to be a series at the time. I just wanted something because I was really bad at taking pictures and printing them out, baby books, scrapbooks. I was bad at all of those things, but I loved to write. So I decided that I wanted something to like mark this time in our lives for my kids. So I wrote this kid's book called The Kids Who Travel the World. And I based it out of Paris and because I wanted it to be about like all things French. And I didn't know then that that was going to turn into six books and every book was going to have a different country. But I wrote that and I, because it's a children's book, it didn't take me that long to write. The production of it and finding an illustrator and all that took a long time. But when I had that story mapped out, I was like, well, I need to work through my own feelings here. And so then I started writing an actual book, which I suppose ended up being my, my memoir of my time in France. And that's called Becoming French. And I wrote that all those years ago. And then I just left it. And I didn't do anything with it, which is funny because it's actually at this exact point in time being published. But I, I wrote it and I just dropped it for five years because I just needed to get it out. And then there were so many other things going on in our life. It wasn't until... I, I became French. I left, <laughs> I like went back to France, all these things happened. And then I thought I wrote that book, like what a shame for it to not go anywhere. Even if it's just, again, a gift to my girls when they're older about my time there, I had, I'd recounted it all. So I wanted to do something with it. So it's only being published now, but that's when I started. That sounds like I'm going to order mine then. <laughs> <laughs> you did go on to write two other books. Can you tell us about those other books? So I have two other books and those are more of a collaboration. They're a collection of stories from women who've lived internationally all over the world. And so during that time in Indonesia, I had this idea because I knew my stories and I knew I had all these big, crazy stories that people, as Aretta said, were really resonating with online. And I thought if I have these stories, surely other people have their own story. So I used my blog as a platform to do a call out for women living abroad who had stories they want to share. And then I collected all the stories. My background as a teacher, as an English major, made it feel like a natural fit for me to do. So I collected the stories. I went through, I edited them, edited them, and made them into a book called Once Upon an Expat. And that was... Uh, my, my first real book baby, I guess you could say, because it, I think it even came out before the children's book came out. And I just worked very passionately my entire time in Indonesia on having a platform for those women to share their stories. Because as you guys probably know, being an expat can be really difficult. And 
sometimes you lose your identity and you don't have a voice. You don't have a platform to share your story and you never really know how, what you do is your creative outlet. What you do in the world is going to affect someone else. And actually that book who, uh, two, four, five years ago now, I guess once upon an expat came out last month, someone sent me a message because it came up on their Facebook memory feed that that book came out five years ago. And she said, I just wanted to let you know that I was going through a really hard time and I just lost a baby and I didn't know any of these things. And she said, being in that book was exactly what I needed at that time. And it really brought me up from a place that it was like a hard time for her. And she said, I just wanted to let you know how much that meant to me. And I didn't even know her. I know her now, but I didn't know her then. And you just never know how you're going to impact people's life. But I was just more about like sharing all of these stories because I think it became a really nice tool for women who were going to move abroad or for women who did move abroad. Because a lot of people think that it's just sipping champagne in a little cafe in Paris. And that's not always the case. And so I did that once upon an expat book. And then three years later, when I moved back to Canada, I was, that's a whole nother story, but I had the pull and the urge to do a second version of that book. And we called it life on the move. And it was another collection of stories from women who've lived internationally. So every chapter of both of those books is written by a different woman living somewhere in the world and their experience on life abroad. That's fantastic. I think there's two very powerful things here. So the power of collaboration and the beauty of bringing a platform where women can share their stories, it's something that is incredibly empowering. And the other thing that I have got out of this is how incredible is it, you know, again, to be vulnerable. So what an incredible story. I am so interested. What actually um, was been your greatest takeaway? of living abroad, if you were to wrap it up in a sentence? I would say embracing change. Because every country I've lived in, every group of women I've been in has been different. And when I left Calgary in Canada, I was a teacher and I worked for a Catholic school board. And all of my friends, were Catholic school teachers. And my husband, actually, when he came into my life, he's like, do you find that a little bit odd that everyone you're friends with is a Catholic school teacher? And I was like, well, no, those are just my people. That's who's in my life. And it does make sense because that's what that was who was in my life. So when I went abroad, I was like, well, where are all the teachers at? Where are all the teachers that are exactly the same age as me who look like me and talk like me and dress like me. Where are those people? Those are my people. And it took me a lot of lived experience to find the beauty and the value in searching out people that are different than yourself, Uh, different age, different race, different, different ethnicities, different socioeconomics, different everything. Right. There's things to learn there. Yeah, I think Um, that's a really key thing because just surrounding yourself with people like you, it just really, it's hard to grow, isn't it? So, you know, when you did your book and you collaborate with women with different backgrounds, different stories, I almost feel like there's there's almost like an extra level of power there of sharing a common message from a different point of view. And that's such a beautiful story. 
So there was one other bit when Lisa was living in Congo, she started this series where she was cooking with women from different countries. And it was, you know, Monique and I were just talking earlier today um, about how bringing together people over food is so unifying and people sharing their food memories with you and sharing yeah yeah and it's like that part of your culture your upbringing and so Lisa started this whole series of sharing these expat women's stories through food when she was living in Congo because now she's in a different place with a slightly larger community of women than she had in um in Indonesia and so, could you elaborate on that a little bit? And I'm sorry. So, what have you not done? done? <laughs> what was that? Sorry. What have you not done? <laughs> I actually <laughs> forgot about that, Aretta. <laughs> so that was called my expat kitchen. And as you know, like at the beginning, I said, like, let's have a baby. I always need. I need a project. I need somewhere to put my passion. I didn't even know I was that passionate until I like picked up my life and threw it all over the world. Um, and then I found I always, I kind of just see where I'm being called and what that passion is at the time, because it does change. I wasn't writing as much. And now here in Calgary, I'm not writing as much, but at that time, we had a very international community in the Congo and we would go to these international women's events and sometimes it would be a potluck. For example, someone's having a baby and we're having a potluck and I'd arrive and I always said it was like a a meeting at the UN and there was just people from all over the world. And I was like, this is the best potluck I have ever been at. Pad thai and curries and like, all of this food. And then sometimes we'd have international night and I was like, okay, what am I going to make Nanaimo bars? What am I making, bringing the maple syrup? What am I going to do? <laughs> so I just loved how everyone represented themselves through their food and everyone was really proud of that. And they were always so happy to tell you about what they made and why they made it and what the recipe was. So I thought there's something here. And I I wasn't in the interview world yet. Like I wasn't used to doing the things that I'm doing now here in Canada, but I thought, well, there's something like there's something there. And I came up with the idea of my expat kitchen. And what I would do is I would approach different ladies that I had become friends with from all over the world. And um, we had my expat kitchen. Well, French, of course, because we worked for a French oil company, but we had someone from France, someone from Indonesia. It's been so long. I'm trying to think off the top of my head. I had a friend who was from uh, Lebanon and I had someone who did ceviche who was from Latin America. Like we just, there was so many different women. And I think that was really powerful in the sense that it's one thing if you're writing a story on a blog about someone But then, especially probably more so for my friends who weren't in the expat community, because now every time we'd have the picture of the dish and I would be with my friend who was from some other place in the world and not in the Canadian sense that, oh, my grandmother, like for myself, my grandmother is from Ukraine. So that makes me Ukrainian. This was expats in the sense of this person is from Ukraine and this is the food that they actually eat on the daily. And so sharing those people's stories through food was wonderful. And 
one of the things that sparked me there is that I remember my daughter always like the school gate was always really hot and we'd be standing outside in the Congolese jungle and I would be sweating and there was always this really nice Muslim lady. And I remember thinking that she was, she must be so hot because she was fully covered. And I was like in my jean shorts and my little spaghetti strapped tank top. And we were, we were pleasant, but I didn't really get to know her until my daughter and her daughter became very best friends. And then her and I became very good friends. And I remember thinking, and I, I say this often when I'm speaking here in Calgary, that Catholic school teacher who had all of her friends that were the same age and looked exactly like her, that girl who left Calgary would not recognize the 10 year later Lisa, who was like one of her best friends was Muslim wearing a hijab from Morocco and she actually didn't speak English. Our friendship language was French. So like I would, I didn't even recognize myself in that situation. Like I had just changed and grown and in my opinion, become such a richer person for the experiences that I had abroad. Absolutely. That, that is incredible. Yeah, it's such an incredible story of how uh, living abroad really changes you but but i like to use the word evolved you and um, and i think especially you notice when you go back home um have you felt that massive shock like when you're back home repatriating 100 i can say that at the drop of a hat 100 it's been very difficult in more ways than i can probably even express right now um so many things because now I'm back teaching in a Catholic school and I, I really do miss the diversity of my circle of friends. And that diversity is something that just happened organically because of where I was living and who I was surrounded by and the excitement and the adventure to now be back to the day to day was a very different thing. Um, when we were living overseas, we had a lot of help in our home because that's just was expected when you're living in some of these countries that you support the local community. And so we had, and especially in the Congo, we had a driver. And in, when we lived in Asia and we had a nanny that helped us. And then I came home and I was the driver and I was the nanny and the cleaner and I was all the things. So lifestyle change was different. Um, our inability to travel as easily was different. And Basically, everything was different. What was it like for, so you and your husband had repatriated to the countries you were born in, but what was it like for your girls? Because that's a whole new experience for them because they didn't live there before. What was it like? Absolutely. It was the first time they had ever lived in a country that spoke English and English is not their first language. So they are very, very Francophone and they basically had the same experience as I had 10 years earlier when I went to France, I would hear someone in the grocery store speaking English and it was like radar on my ears that I could hear for miles away. They have that experience here. If we were in a store and they happened to hear someone speaking French and there was just different things that they didn't understand. They would go with me to the market in Africa to get the groceries and then they would come here and go to the superstore and there was just so much of everything. And as North Americans, we live in a very consumer society, you might say. Um, 
And we just didn't, we never had that lifestyle because we couldn't, because we were moving so much and we always had to carry things. And when we were on vacation at Christmas, well, you can't put a whole pile of presents in your suitcase. So we would always gift our kids experiences instead of things. So when they were in Russia, they got tickets to the Moscow Circus for Christmas. And they got tickets to the ballet. And those were their Christmas presents. And we do things together as a family. And then we would come home and it was, well, I got this, 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 and this. And it was, it's just, that's the culture that you and I grew up in. And it was just very much a shift for for all of us in that way. Um, for them, I would say language was big. Um, a, a good part of that was being back with family because they'd never had family. So that's the best part about moving home. They got to be close to grandparents and they could develop that relationship in a way that they couldn't before. But there was also a lot of, a lot of hurdles and challenges and I guess reverse culture shock for us a little bit. And adapting to a new culture for them. I think that's fascinating. You said that thing about the values and the consumerism uh, versus, you know, the experience of really appreciating things um, when they're not about the consumer. I, I think that's probably one of the lovely things you managed to give to your children. It's the ability to appreciate experiences rather than things. And that is something that, you know, you should be very proud of and obviously happened because of the lifestyle. But I think it's one of those things that you could say um, it's great about <laughs> what you experienced. That's amazing. Thank so you. What has been like, what have your girls taught you about moving around? Has there been like, if you could think of one lesson that they have taught you as a parent, as a person, a mother, a woman, is there any lesson that they have shared through their experience that you've just like really taken away and been like, wow, like we don't give them enough credit. Um, to have an open heart. I think that they're so accepting of everyone of different cultures. Like they don't, they don't see things the same way that we see things without even realizing. Um, That's beautiful. I remember my mom coming to Indonesia and my girls were very little then, two and four maybe. And they speak English with me. They speak French with my husband and our Pembantu, which is like the nanny in our house and our driver, they would speak Indonesian. And then the helpers at school would speak Indonesian as well. And I mean, by no means were we fluent in Indonesian, but they knew certain words. Like they knew how to say please and thank you and good morning and good night. And even at that young age, it just, they're such sponges and how to ask for milk or things like that. And my mom came from Canada and stayed with us in Indonesia. And she would see her two and four year old grandchildren being culturally appropriate for my mom who grew up in small town, Ontario, there were not very many other cultures maybe. And so my daughters are walking into stores um, where they're selling hijabs and they're run by Muslim women and they don't bat an eye. They greet them in, Indone in Bahasa Indonesian and then they return and speak to someone else in French and they return and speak to my mom in English. And she was like, what a gift, like what a gift. And the same thing when we went to um, when we went to Congo, I remember them being invited to a birthday party. And I was wondering like, is it on a compound? Is it, on, is it off the compound? Whose birthday is it? Because I didn't know this child. And I said, well, are they French or are they Congolese? And my daughter, my older daughter, who was a little bit older at the time, I think she was six. And she was like, well, I don't know. 
And I said, I was just like, it made my heart explode. The fact that she was like, she couldn't tell if a child was Congolese or not, because that just, she knew we lived in Congo, like, and just, it just meant different things for her. And we could drop her off at a birthday party in the middle of the Congolese jungle. And there was like 10 grandmothers there who are in like beautiful African headdresses and everything. And she's the little blonde girl walking in, like she owns the place and doesn't bat an eye. Whereas my husband and I are thinking, wow, this is the most cultural experience I've ever had in my entire life. And my daughter just walks in They're and is just like, having it cool, pick me up in two hours. Like it was like, it was just so amazing to watch as a parent. And that makes me so proud. And to this day, my kids go to a Francophone school. So it's a little bit more diverse um, because it is families that are French speaking as their first language. So a lot of families that aren't from Canada or from different parts of Canada or from North Africa. And so our kids really have that ability to just like jump in and make friends quite easily. And I really, my wish for them is that that stays with them forever. I think that that would be, that's something that I know I'm going to speak for both Monique and I, that is something that we hope our children you know, aspire and they can emulate that type of character because I think that that your experience has given them that lesson that is very hard to teach. I think otherwise, no, it's very, yeah, it's very hard to teach, but also how do you even explain it other than having that experience? But that's the thing. I think we don't, and, and this came to light in our house and we've had some conversations with the black lives matter movement that's happening because it is very hard to teach if you're not in those situations. We didn't have to teach that to our kids. That has just been part of their life um, from the time, well, from the time they were born. They've just always known different cultures. Just like we, we always say the airport is their playground because they have spent so much time in airports and traveling and they've been to 40 countries. Like, it, I think they just learn by doing, like how we learn by doing, they learn by experiencing. I think there's and so, something, uh, sorry, it keeps interrupting. No, I think there's something no. so fascinating you just saying. So maybe one of the things that parents can do to break these barriers is to just simply get yourself out of your comfort zone and allow your kid to experience having different friendships, going to places they don't usually go because... I think it's 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 like you said. Sometimes the conversation wouldn't even need to happen if it's if your way of living is so accepting that it's just you know doesn't need speaking. But it's it's really frustrating what's happening at the moment, and um, I wish my kids <laughs> to be exactly the same. Um, you know, no color, no. You know, it's just what I think. It's, it's just probably that's probably um, the best gift that has come from this is the world experience that we've been able to have as a family. It's an education. Absolutely. Now, Lisa, as your friend, I know that it was hard for you to move back and to Canada for many reasons. There were so many lovely reasons of moving home that you were excited about. Um, but some of those bits that you were longing for is actually what brought you to becoming an entrepreneur and a public speaker and open this whole new chapter in your life and we really want you to share this with mumble forum because we find it's so inspiring and empowering and we want to hear all about it okay so i started something here in calgary called wine women and well-being and i started without without 
anticipating what it might turn into and with very little expectations, to be honest, because so how it started was some of these places that I lived had women's groups already established and that made it really easy for me to fit in. Um, when I went to Indonesia, there was an international women's association. When I went to Congo, there was an international women's association and they would just set up monthly events and you could just show up. And I remember I showed up to a book club for a book that I hadn't read two days after I got to Congo. I left that book club with a little wine buzz and a room full of new friends and plans for the next day. And that changed my life in Congo. All of a sudden I fit in and I wasn't lonely and I wasn't longing. And if I needed to know where the grocery store was, I now had three girls phone numbers in my phone who I could send a text message and ask like, where do I find brown sugar or whatever it might've been at the time. The power um, of community. The power of community and connection was just so strong. And because I had the Canadian expat mom platform, when I moved back to Calgary, um, I mean, of course I had friends. I had lived here before. But also in 10 years, a lot changes. Friends change, people change, locations change. Um, we had our kids at different times. So I also, I kind of came in with the intention of, I want to live our life, how we lived our expat life. I want to keep doing things and keep having fun and keep giving our kids experiences. And I don't want to just fall back into the hamster wheel of everyday rat race, I guess you could say. Um, but I also wanted to continue to meet new people because that was my favorite part as the extrovert of living abroad. Um, I loved that. And so through the Canadian expat mom platform, some women had seen that I moved back to Canada and they said, Oh, I'm moving to Canada. Where's the international ladies group? And I said, well, I don't actually know if there is one. And then someone said, well, maybe you should make one. And I was like, oh, that's funny. Maybe I will. Who knows? Uh, and then I got asked to start public speaking and a public speaker I was not at the time. And I thought, okay, well, I can share my story. I do feel like I have a, short, a story to share. And I found out that that event was going to be two to 300 women. And then I had a small panic attack and I thought, I need to practice this. And my husband's like, you absolutely need to do. I don't care if you go to an old folks home to practice, but you need to practice what you want to say or even just getting up in front of a crowd and talking. Like someone that's not 20 nine-year-olds or like at school. Right. So there was a couple groups, like there was a, an entrepreneur's group in Calgary and there was a mom's group in Calgary, but no one really knew me at that time because I had just moved back here. And so I kind of like loosely approached some of these places to see if I could like come and speak. And they were like, Oh yeah, maybe, maybe someday, you know, and it just, it wasn't happening. So I thought, okay, well, if this isn't happening, I'm going to make my own event. Like I'm going to just gather. It started as thinking, well, maybe I'll just gather a bunch of my girlfriends and give them wine and ask them to like, let me tell my story to see if I can actually do this before I do it in front of 300 people and make a fool of myself. And that seed kind of evolved in my mind. And I thought, well, what if I, what if I made this into a thing? Like what if I put it on the internet and just see if strangers would come? And that's a, another piece of vulnerability because when people don't show up, to things. It's a very humbling, scary, horrific experience. So I really had to take a leap of faith. And I thought, okay, I'm going to do this. I put it on the internet. I called it one woman and well-being, like, cause I was like, what's it about? What do I love? And then I just made the first event and hoped to hell that somebody would show up. 
And they did, which was wonderful. And then I thought, this is probably something that could happen monthly because there's enough women who want to share their story or share what they're good at or share what it is that they do for a living that we could do this monthly. And in one year, it grew to 11 branches across Canada. So that to me spoke immensely about the need and power of community and women. So it actually didn't stop. Lisa's being actually quite humble here. It didn't stop in Canada. She gets regularly contacted if somebody can open a chapter in the U.S., in a city, in a state, wherever, um, because they do find that they're lacking that community. And this is where we're coming in with Mumble Forum. It's like we want to build this type of a community for other women. Is that right, Monique? Yeah, and I think I've probably had a similar situation to to Lisa, like me and Aretha, where we felt um, there is a need for a platform where women, but especially mothers, as you were saying, you know, you alone as an expat go through a bit of an identity crisis and let alone then as well becoming a mother. So the empowering thing of just having a platform where not only obviously will you connect to mothers, but if you can actually learn stuff from experts. And at the same time, I found myself when I felt a little bit of, I could call it maybe uh, perhaps depression of just not understanding <laughs> how, you know, somehow I was being Monique and then I was just, just my daughter's mom, which I adore, but it was very, um, it's quite a change. And I felt, you know what, what makes me happy? What fulfills me immediately? And I felt, you know, charity makes me happy. Immediately makes me feel like, you know what, I am, I am blessed. It reminds me how blessed I am. So we, I, I, you know, we wanted to combine this sort of sense of community with charity because it was like immediate, you know, effect of uplifting you and then learning. And as you said, the power of community, like what an amazing thing is for women to support women for mothers to support mothers, um, you know, we're all in this together. When you're vulnerable, like you were, so empowering, because then others start to being vulnerable too, and they start to open up as well. Isn't that right, Aretha? Like, you it is connected to this, isn't you? Um, I know that, like with Lisa, um, following your story, like so many women that come to your events have actually branched out and formed very meaningful relationships in their careers together, working together, lifting each other up. And um, just like that power of women supporting each other through different aspects of their life, personally, professionally, is just so profound. And you've given them that, you've given them that avenue to connect. And that's something really to be proud of, I think. Thank you so much. Do you know what? I think it's really easy as a mom to lose yourself. And I remember being in France and that's kind of part of the reason I started writing because I loved my kids more than anything, but I forgot about the woman who I was before I became their mom. And I missed her. I missed her so much. I missed like feeling strong and powerful and like I was making a difference. And of course I'm making a difference in my own kid's life, but I missed being a member, like a contributing member of society and to do something for my community. And if other moms don't feel that, 
then you feel disconnected and you feel like, oh, well, maybe there's something wrong with me because I shouldn't want more. I shouldn't want more than being a mom to my kids and a, a wife to my husband. That should be enough. And for some people it is, and that's okay. But also it's okay to want more. And I feel like you can still be a mom and want more. You can still be a mom and want to run a business. You can still be a mom and want to work full time. I have been a stay at home mom for nine years or eight years of my kid's life, I suppose. So a stay at home mom for eight years. And now I'm a working mom. I've done both and both are extremely difficult. I think because when I was a stay at home mom, I felt like a part of me was missing. I missed being out there in the world. And when I was a working mom, I felt like I'm, I'm too busy. I, I miss being home with my kids and it's just so hard to know what the right thing to do is. But I do love that um, because I've built this community and I'm, I'm very open about why I built it. I'm very open about that. I have felt lonely and I have felt disconnected and that I want to be a part of a community. And so I think that makes people feel comfortable to come on their own or feel connected that they want to start a branch somewhere. And yes, like Aretta said, so maybe we will be expanding to other places. And, and I think that's wonderful because it's not just Canada that people need to connect. It's all over. And people have come together and I have seen them come as strangers. And then a couple months down the road, they might come back the next month and then they're chatting again. And, oh, what do you do? What do you, and, it, and it's not even a networking community, so to speak, but these things happen organically. And next thing you know, in the city, I'm seeing women collaborating and their businesses are joining together to create these new ventures. And it basically makes my heart want to explode because I know that I have facilitated and had some small part in their connecting and in making that happen. And I, and I just think that it's a beautiful thing and I really feel honored to be a part of it and that other people would believe in my dream of building community and run alongside me because I don't think it's me because it wouldn't be anything if it wasn't for the community. So I love that we're all moving forward together. I mean, that's, I'm out of words. I, I agree with every <laughs> single word you just said. Thank you. I personally identify very much with this intense need that I just, I just have this need of creating this platform because I felt that void and I felt the empowering feeling of how fulfilled and made me feel to, to have surrounded, surround yourself with people that, you know, are feeling the same way and that are validating what you're feeling and you're not alone and you're not crazy on this and it is okay not to be the perfect mother. And like you said, it is okay to want to pursue simultaneously being a good mom, you know, as well as, as being the best version you could be that you're meant to be. And I think as mothers and, and actually as women, we're always in this very confusing phase, which I think historically we're, you know, supposed to be at home. You're supposed to be the perfect housewife. You're supposed to be happy, not wanting to work. And actually I think the modern mom is, is kind of changing things now. And I, and I wish to grow my daughter and I think um, to, to wish for that. And I think that mothers have this power where we can really raise the future. So if you can try to somehow uh, inspire people to, to do a change like you're doing with your community and like pass it along, what a beautiful thing to do, isn't it? Lisa actually had this moment, I remember reading about it, where you had reached a certain number in your chapters, your franchises across Canada, 
And then what did your daughter say? It was so powerful, but it's actually you being such a great role model for her that she even thought of that. That's amazing. Um, so I said, I said that I, she must have heard me having a conversation with my husband or something. And so I went from having one branch and then I went and got the company actually before I even had my first event. I mean, turned the company, the community event that I wanted to have into a company um, across Canada because my husband's like, well, seems, seems a bit aggressive. No. <laughs> and I thought, no, like this, I feel like this might be something. And I, and when I had the idea to have one and when I saw what that could do, I, I said, I, I want to have five. If I could have five branches, that would be amazing. And then my daughter again heard me talking to my husband and I was like, well, that's branch number five. And she said, she just, without batting an eye, she said to me, well, what's your next goal, mommy? And I was like, what? And she said, well, you're at five. So now you need to change your goal. What's your next goal going to be? And I said, well, I guess it's going to be 10 then, isn't it? Um, and, and that is exactly what it is. And I, I feel so blessed to be able to show my daughters that we can do many things. And I've said this to my husband before, they might not appreciate the life that they've had or like sacrifices that have been made because I feel like had I stayed in Canada, um, well, right now I'm doing the job that I had at 22 years old and spoiler alert, I'm not 22 anymore. So I just, I have an ambition and I know that I would be in a different place had I stayed in Canada, but my life would also look very different. And I gave up some things to be able to do that. Like I did a master's degree to become a stay at home mom. That's not what I really had in mind. Um, so I feel like maybe when they're adults, they'll realize, oh, well, she quit her job and she did these things. And then like she became an author and I, and they see that I'm going to work during the day and then I'm running a business at night and we can do hard things. Um, and actually in my daughter's bathroom, there's a big sign and it says, beautiful girl, you can do hard things. And I always remind them of that. And they know that I write books and they know that we have a cookbook in our kitchen that Jillian Harris wrote. And they know that I've connected with Jill through this community and Jessica Jansen, another Calgarian wrote another book. She lost her son and wrote a book about finding joy in your journey. And they know that I know her. And so now they see books, like we're in chapters or we're in a bookstore and they'll see a book and they're like, Oh mommy, do you know her? <laughs> and I, no, I don't know everyone that wrote a book, but it makes things really approachable for them. It doesn't, they're not afraid of going to a new country. They're not afraid of trying to write a book. They're not, they just, when we model behavior, our kids just think that that's normal. And I love that this community has allowed me to be able to do that for my own children. That is, I think it's incredible. And you pivoting in your life, in your career as a woman, as a mother, as a teacher, and constantly evolving, I think it's, well, I mean, you're a role model for your children, but I think you're a role model for other women too, other mothers, like showing them that like, listen, like these things don't need to limit you. You can keep on moving forward. And I remember reaching out to you. I don't know if you remember when I found out I'm not going to be going back to work after finding out I was pregnant and for the second time really close together. And I was just in a really rough place thinking like, well, that's my career. Like, what is my identity? Who am I? And 
you had said, like, what got me through it, what you got you through yours was always having a project and having something to look forward to, to excite you in a different way that your family and your role as a mother did. And I felt like that advice really resonated with me and it got me forward. So I, I'm really grateful um, that you had shared all of that. Thank you. And, and I, I think... Thank you so much. I think we're probably close to having to wrap up, but I think we have one final question uh, for you. And I think, uh, Aretha, should we make her ask her the empowering question? What ways and, and how, uh, as mothers and women, can we empower each other? What would you say to the community, to, you know, to the mumble ladies? That's an easy one for me. And that is support your sisters, support your sisters in whatever they're doing, because we need cheerleaders we need to be our own cheerleaders, but we also need to be cheerleaders for the other women in our lives. Because I remember having the idea for wine, women and wellbeing. And I remember saying to someone, Oh, well, there's other things out there. And a woman in my life said to me, there's room for more. There's room for everyone. What you're doing is different. Why don't you just try? And maybe if I hadn't had that little push from a friend, I wouldn't have tried it. And I would be so regretful, but you don't know what can evolve and what can happen unless you try. And if we support the women around us, and instead of being jealous or hateful or mean, if we build each other up and we run alongside each other and help each other out however we can, you don't know why people come into your life. And I feel like there's such opportunity in connecting and collaborating and helping and just becoming friends, if nothing more than supporting people in what they're doing and what they believe in. I just think the power of the unknown and the power of women together is so strong that my advice would be support your sisters. And the future is female, so watch out. <laughs> yes. Oh my Thank God, it. it's been quite a pleasure meeting you tonight. And we're Wonderful. so, so excited to have you as part of our Mamba Ladies officially. And um, we cannot wait to have you on one of our upcoming events post-corona, hopefully. Um, I feel like there might be a plane trip in my future. I don't know. <laughs> We would welcome you with open arms and who knows, maybe you'll be the keynote speaker. Lisa, thank you so much for sitting down with us, sharing your story, your wisdom, your vulnerability. Um, we know that this is going to inspire our community, empower them. It's done that for us. And thank you so much. Thank you ladies so much for having me. Thank you. And um, cheers. Thanks so much for spending this time with us. Cheers. <laughs> Bye. Have a Bye. lovely day in Canada. We're just going to have a night. Thank you. afternoon drink. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Bye, ladies. Bye-bye.